From executive producer Isaac Saul, this is Tangle. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the Tangle Podcast, a place we get views from across the political spectrum, some independent thinking, and a little bit of my take. I'm your host, Isaac Saul, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the migrant crisis, more specifically what's happening in New York and some other Democratic-run cities across the country, what people are saying about it, and how the Biden administration might need to address it. Before we jump in today, a couple of things I want to give a heads up on. First of all, in Wednesday's podcast last week, I apparently said the unemployment rate rose from 35 to 3.8%. That's the highest it's been since February of 2020, though it's still low by historical standards. That should have been the highest it's been since February 2022, not February 2020. We had this correct in the newsletter, but I think I just misread it on the podcast. This is actually one of the first times, maybe the first time ever, we've had a correction in the podcast and not in the newsletter. So I don't have our normal correction count for this. It was a small thing, but I just wanted to make note of it so you guys were aware and to maintain some of our transparency. Also, on Friday, we published what is turning out to be a little bit of a controversial members-only piece about climate change activism and the right ways and the wrong ways to protest, quote-unquote. I'm not sure exactly the best way to sum the article up. But I think I took some pretty strong stances about what works and what doesn't to win people over to your movement. And people had a lot of feelings about it. So I want to shout out the piece, make sure that you know it was sent out. If you want to check it out, it's on readtangle.com. It is called How Not to Protest Climate Change. And there is a paywall. It is for members only. So if you want to read the full thing, you'll have to subscribe. But I think it's worth it based on some of the feedback I've been getting. All right, with that out of the way, we're going to jump in today with some quick hits. First up, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that top White House and CDC officials violated the First Amendment when coordinating with social media companies to limit the spread of misinformation online. Number two, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she will seek another term in Congress. Number three, former President Trump advisor Peter Navarro was found guilty on contempt of Congress charges after ignoring subpoenas from the January 6th committee. Separately, a judge denied Mark Meadows' request to move his criminal election interference case from state to federal court. Number four, at least 296 people were killed and 153 were injured by a 6.8 magnitude earthquake in Morocco on Friday night. Number five, states near ones that banned abortion after Roe v. Wade fell saw sharp increases in the number of abortions performed, while the number of total abortions across the U.S. has fallen. That's according to some new data released by the Guttmacher Institute. The mayor of New York is warning that the city could be destroyed if it doesn't get more help to cope with an influx of migrants. City officials describe a humanitarian crisis, straining resources, filling up shelters, and putting pressure on New York City schools. The Biden administration and the public officials of New York City are in deep disagreement over immigration. The New York mayor and governor have asked for increased federal support to handle migrants in the state. Business leaders, including Paramount Global, CBS's parent company, called on the administration to address what they described as a humanitarian crisis. Now, in the first response, 
Administration officials are putting the responsibility back on the city and state. We're getting no support on this national crisis. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. On Wednesday, Mayor Eric Adams, a Democrat, claimed that an influx of an estimated 110,000 asylum seekers from the southern border was going to destroy the Big Apple, saying he did not see a pathway toward fixing the issue. Adams' comments come as New York continues to try to absorb an influx of migrants who are coming to the city and are now being housed in various shelters, hotels, office buildings, and parks across the five boroughs. New York is the only major city in the country with a right-to-shelter law, so the cost of sheltering anyone who needs it rises with every new entrant to the city. Adams pointed to new projections that the city's budget gap could grow to $12 billion, which is the same amount that sheltering migrants is estimated to cost the city over three years. 60,000 migrants are currently occupying beds in traditional city shelters and in over 200 emergency sites. Roughly 20,000 migrant children are expected to attend schools in the city as well. Let me tell you something, New Yorkers, never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this, Mayor Eric Adams said at a gathering in Manhattan. This issue will destroy New York City. While Republicans in New York and nationally have applauded Adams for calling out what they say are Biden's failed immigration policies, immigrant advocacy groups and Democrats have criticized Adams' comments. The Legal Aid Society and Coalition for the Homeless said his comments villainized people who fled unimaginable situations in their home countries and that he sounded like fringe politicians on the far right of the political spectrum, the New York Times reported. Meanwhile, the issue is not specific to New York City. An influx of migrants is causing tension between the Biden administration and local Democrats in cities like Boston, Chicago, Denver, and Philadelphia as well. In Chicago, for instance, an estimated 2,000 migrants are sleeping in police stations and on airport floors, prompting calls for converting more buildings into shelters. Some black residents in Chicago are responding to these calls by wondering why millions are being spent on new arrivals after decades of disinvestment from their own neighborhoods. These issues were sparked in part by Republican governors and politicians who bus migrants to other destinations once they cross the U.S.-Mexico border. Those politicians, mostly from Texas and Florida, said they wanted to show Democratic city and state leaders what it was like trying to navigate the influx of new arrivals. Local officials in destination cities said that created a snowball effect, with more migrants following those who were placed on the state-backed buses into major cities. Because many migrants are coming to the cities to work and work permit process is slow in many places, migrants are often languishing in shelters or living homeless until they can find a job. Federal law requires asylum seekers to wait at least 180 days before receiving a permit, a law only Congress can change, though permitting processes for non-asylum seekers can vary from city to city. Now, the Biden administration is considering a new policy that would force some migrant families who entered the U.S. without authorization to remain near the border in Texas while waiting for asylum screening. The plan is likely to receive backlash from both immigrant rights groups who would oppose it on the grounds it would increase deportations and effectively amount to prolonged detention, as well as politicians in border states who do not want the burden to remain localized. Today, we're going to break down the story with some views from the right and the left, and then my take. First up, I want to point out some agreement here. 
There appears to be a consensus that what is happening in New York and other blue cities is a worsening crisis. Both sides, for different reasons, have also been critical of New York Governor Kathy Hochul, Mayor Eric Adams, and President Joe Biden for their handling of this issue. First up, let's start with what the left is saying. Many on the left are critical of Adams' comments, but also the Republican governors who bus migrants to the city and the lack of federal leadership to solve the issue. Some say New York's pre-existing housing crisis is making this issue even more difficult to solve and Adams' comments create anger towards migrants. Others point to current immigration policies and call on Biden and Congress to step in and help. In The Atlantic, Anna Lowry said New York is full and it's the housing market's fault. Republicans have bashed the mayor for wasting resources better spent on long-standing New Yorkers. Democrats have attacked him for allowing a human catastrophe to develop and trying to shift blame to the state and federal government. Yet Adams is in some profound sense correct. New York is full. It is too full for young families, new businesses, artists, and retirees. It has been too full for years, if not decades, Lowry said. It desperately, immediately needs to make more space for asylum seekers and for everyone who already lives here. The problem is exacerbated by poor case management. Some people need driver's license, some need work permits, some need a ticket elsewhere in the country, Lowry said. The state could also do more, barring bedroom communities in towns upstate from refusing new arrivals, for instance. And, of course, the federal government, which has an exclusive purview over immigration policy, a multi-trillion dollar budget, and an entire cabinet department devoted to the borders, immigration, and customs could step in with money, guidance, and administrative capacity. Yet the problem is New York's, and behind this acute crisis is the longer-standing one of an insufficient housing supply. In the New York Times, Mara Gray said Adams was turning his back on immigrants and New York's legacy. Since last year, tens of thousands of asylum seekers have arrived in New York City from the southern border and around the world, seeking a better life in a place that has welcomed generations of immigrants since its founding. What many of those migrants have found instead is a tepid welcome amid a housing crisis that has left the city barely equipped to offer them more than a meal in the hotels used to house a booming homeless population. They are lucky if they get a bed. And while immigrants strengthen the U.S. economy and are a vital part of the fabric of democracy, local governments can't simply absorb tens of thousands of people without help, especially for housing, and their taxpayers in New York and elsewhere shouldn't be expected to foot the bill, Gay said. Still, there is something particularly disappointing about New York City's official response to the asylum seekers unfolding under the gaze of the Statue of Liberty in the harbor. Nearly four in ten city residents were born outside the United States. That rich legacy doesn't seem to be on Mr. Adams' mind. Also in the New York Times, former mayor Michael Bloomberg wrote about how to fix the crisis. For starters, current federal law prevents asylum seekers who have already been admitted into the United States from immediately working. The process of receiving a work authorization can take a year or longer. In the meantime, how are asylum seekers expected to pay rent and feed themselves and their families? This amounts to state-enforced poverty and vagrancy against people who have shown extraordinary fortitude and grit in journeying here, often at great risk, for the opportunity to work and build a better life, Bloomberg said. In a 1981 legal settlement, New York City agreed to provide shelter to all homeless residents seeking it. That agreement was never intended to be a blanket guarantee of housing for an unprecedented flow of refugees, but that is what it has become, Bloomberg said. Meanwhile, the federal government is failing to provide the resources necessary to hear asylum cases in anything approaching an expeditious fashion. It can take six or seven years for an applicant's case to be resolved. Think about it. 
We have a system that essentially allows an unlimited number of people to cross our borders, forbids them from working, offers them free housing, and grants them seven years of residency before ruling on whether they can legally stay. It would be hard to devise a more backward and self-defeating system. That is it for the leftist saying, which brings us to what the right is saying. Many on the right applaud Adams' comments, but say he lacks the leadership to do anything to solve the issue. Many also call on the Biden administration to change its immigration policies and stop the influx of migrants at the border. Some criticize Democrats for taking so long to realize this is a genuine issue. In the New York Post, Michael Goodwin said Adams is late to the party with his epiphany about the ongoing migrant problem. Why the mayor hesitated to sound the big alarm until 110,000 arrived here, with 60,000 living at taxpayer expense, is beyond comprehension, Goodwin said. Part of the reason is that Adams is notoriously inconsistent and has been on both sides of the migrant fence. He was initially boastful about welcoming them to his sanctuary city and helped arrange transportation for some with the Democratic mayor of El Paso, Texas, even as he denounced the Republican governor of Texas as a racist for sending bus caravans to New York. In addition to the exorbitant costs of taking over entire hotels and outfitting other large buildings, there is food, healthcare, transportation, education, all of which leads to his estimate that the tab will hit an astonishing $12 billion over three years. On Saturday, the mayor announced cuts to other agencies, saying they must trim their spending by 5% to offset the ballooning migrant costs, Goodwin said. Worse yet, neither Hochul nor Adams are demanding Biden secure the border. Instead, they united around the terrible idea of demanding rapid work permits for the migrants and pledged to help them find permanent housing. Both initiatives, if they were to succeed, would make New York even more of an attractive destination for illegal crossers. In The Federalist, John Daniel Davidson said mass illegal immigration is destructive. Adams is right. Unregulated mass illegal immigration is inherently destructive. It destroys not just cities, but entire nations. The Biden administration's willful, ongoing abdication of its duty to secure the southern border has allowed record-breaking numbers of illegal immigrants into the country month after month, year over year, Davidson wrote. The kind of mass illegal immigration Biden's policies have unleashed will destroy not just New York City, but every major city in America. They will eventually destroy America itself for the simple reason that a country that cannot maintain its borders ceases to be a sovereign country. 110,000 migrants in New York City sounds pretty bad, and it is, but consider that from last March to July of this year, the last month for which data has been published, more than 3.5 million illegal immigrants were arrested at the southern border. Most months, the arrest total has been well over 200,000, between 6,000 and 7,000 arrests every single day. Most of these arrests occur in small cities and towns that have nowhere near the ability of New York to house and monitor these new arrivals. But often they're stuck with the impossible task because there's no way federal border authorities can detain or even process that many illegal immigrants. In National Review, Charles C.W. Cook criticized Adams for calling Texas Governor Greg Abbott a madman for busing migrants to New York. Why should illegal immigrants be in Texas and not New York? New York City is a self-designated sanctuary. Texas is not. What did New Yorkers think that meant? Why are they surprised that a non-sanctuary jurisdiction such as Texas would bus illegal immigrants up to a sanctuary jurisdiction such as their own, Cook said? Was their willingness to serve as a sanctuary only operative when they believed that nobody would show up? Specifically, Adams complains about the cost of dealing with illegal immigration and the effect on the city's resources that the illegal immigrants are having. 
Is it more mad for these costs to be borne by New York City than by Texas? If so, why, he asked. And why did nobody care when these costs were being paid by the tiny Texas border towns instead of the world's greatest metropolis? Last year, Adams refused to reject the bill that gave illegal immigrants in New York City the right to vote. What message did he think that sent? New York advertised itself as a haven and others believed it. Should they not have? All right, that is it for what the left and the right are saying, which brings us to my take. So I'm just waiting for someone to take the lead here. I respect Eric Adams for stating the obvious, which is that things can't go on as they are. Anyone spending all their breath criticizing his comments is fear-mongering or missing the forest for the trees. It is supposed to be a warning, and one that evokes fear and urgency, not toward migrants, but toward ineffective government policy. Our immigration system is and has been in crisis, as I've said repeatedly over the last couple of years, and if nothing changes, it will spin further out of control than it already has. But Adams talks as if he is some bystander. He's the mayor of New York City. He was elected to solve problems like this, and instead of simply warning that this is going to destroy New York, he should articulate a coherent plan on what the city needs, how to solve it, and what his contingency plans are. Let me make a few things very clear. I don't blame the migrants arriving in New York City. The vast, vast majority of them are running from something awful and towards something better. They're going to New York and other major cities because they want safety, housing, and work. They believe in America's promise of opportunity, and if they made it from, say, Nicaragua to New York City, they clearly have tremendous grit and perseverance. Those cities have signaled they will welcome and support them, and now that promise is being put to the test. I believe cities like New York are doing their best, and in some ways, the story is already remarkable. Housing 60,000 new residents at once and welcoming 20,000 children to the public school system is no small thing. Stories of New Yorkers volunteering and opening their homes to these migrants abound, showing that there is some old-fashioned American beauty here too, not just chaos and crisis. But I do blame Biden, Adams, and especially Congress, and the successive decades of presidents and politicians who have refused to come together to fix this issue. George W. Bush didn't fix it, Barack Obama didn't fix it, and Donald Trump didn't fix it either. As Michael Bloomberg said under what the left is saying, our current system seems almost purpose-built to create this crisis. We let asylum seekers and migrants cross the border into a processing system that can't handle them. Then we allow them to enter the U.S. into cities and towns that can't house them. Then we tell them they can't work, can't pay taxes, can't live life out from the shadows. When Republicans like Texas Governor Greg Abbott started busing migrants to Democrat-led cities without an accurate idea about what they would find on the other end, I had mixed reactions. On the one hand, I wouldn't mind a coordinated policy of busing migrants around the U.S. As I said then, border states and cities shouldn't bear the burden of federal immigration policies alone, and the Biden administration was already busing migrants north. What I did mind was that Abbott's actions weren't part of an organized policy, but ad hoc tactics using innocent humans as political chess pieces, especially when reports emerged that many migrants were misled about what they would find on the other end of their trips. The busing of migrants was good politics at the time, even if it was cruel and cold-hearted in some situations. It's brilliant politics now. Republicans have forced Democrats into infighting and increased awareness about the issue, all while showing voters why the current system isn't working. Border towns have been dealing with this issue for years without much attention from Americans living further north. Trump had the necessary urgency to solve it, but his policies were more effective at stopping legal immigration than illegal immigration. 
Other presidents and political leaders haven't even acknowledged the urgency. Now the problem isn't confined to the border, but on the doorstep of millions of other Americans. Again, New York started losing its stomach for addressing the issue when roughly 10,000 migrants showed up to a city of 9 million people over the course of an entire summer. Yet last year, Eagle Pass, Texas, a town of 29,000 people, was seeing 2,000 migrants cross the border every single day. That crisis has not been resolved, despite some brief moments of respite earlier this summer. It isn't xenophobic or anti-immigration to point out that no town, city, state, or country is capable of absorbing millions of new residents in a matter of months, especially when those residents have very little money, can't legally work, and face all sorts of other challenges. So now what? It's difficult to say. Bloomberg's suggestion that New York make it easier for migrants to work is sensible, but Goodwin, under what the right is saying, is also right that such a policy runs the risk of being a massive incentive for more migrants to come. I think everything starts with slowing immigration at the border. Then we have to increase our ability to process these migrants with more judges and lawyers. Finally, we have to do everything we can to compassionately house and feed new arrivals. If we can put some to work, all the better. But the simple reality is that it is extremely difficult, if not impossible, to manage the number of migrants we're getting right now. Fortunately, that realization seems to be hitting home, and it's no longer just Republicans along the border sounding the alarm. It's going to take a concerted federal, state, and city effort to fix this, and perhaps this crisis will be enough to finally move the ball. All right, next up is your questions answered. This one's from Patricia in St. Paul, Minnesota. Patricia said, is there any meaningful restriction on abortion, please don't use the health of the mother rhetoric, health being a huge loophole, that is acceptable to the Democratic Party? Why can't the Democrat leaders admit they will never vote for any restriction on abortion, including those related to viability, sex selection, or anything else, up to the moment of birth? Okay, so first, I want to acknowledge that there is some truth to your point here. Democrats are not drafting any legislation limiting abortion in any way. As we've covered in Tangle before, most of the country supports access to abortion within the first 15 to 20 weeks of pregnancy, then exceptions for instances of rape, incest, or when the health of the mother is at risk. For that reason, Republicans aren't wrong to paint Democrats as out of step with the majority of Americans for not wanting to legislate for some prohibitions on abortion. For their part, Democrats would probably describe that position as being more about women's choice and keeping legislation out of a difficult personal decision. This position was perhaps best articulated by Pete Buttigieg in 2020 when he said that late-term abortions are almost, by definition, pregnancies that were expected to go to term when some change forced a heartbreaking decision. The numbers from a recent piece in the Dispatch bear out that these abortions are relatively rare, but abortions after 21 weeks still account for about 5,500 or so per year. And no, we do not have good recent data on why women choose these abortions, but we have some from not too long ago. And a lot of the time, the reasons for these decisions aren't ones we really feel comfortable with, nor should we. Since I am generally pro-choice on abortion, a few years ago I sought out and published a well-written opinion piece from Sophie Trist, a pro-life activist, who stated the following. While writing an op-ed piece for the school newspaper, I discovered that up to 2011, the last year for which there is reliable data, a horrifying 67% of babies who receive a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome are aborted in the United States. In Iceland and Denmark, that number rises to 95%. As a disabled woman, the prevalence and acceptance of disability-selective abortion both hurts and horrifies me. 
So yes, by not proposing any of their own abortion restrictions, Democrats are open to criticism in this area. All that said, are there any restrictions Democrats would support? I do think that restrictions after 21 weeks, with the usual exceptions listed above, would be acceptable to many Democrats. And while you see the health of the mother as a huge loophole, I think many women see it as a huge source of protection for their own lives in the case of the unthinkable and tragic. And I think Democrats would cede that position. Why won't they admit it? Not to be a broken record here, but in our current political climate, I think each party characterizes the other's opposition as extreme, which just creates deeper polarization. Republicans feel pressure to propose stricter prohibitions on abortion, and Democrats feel equal pressure not to propose any restrictions at all, despite the fact there does seem to be a great deal of middle ground where the parties could feasibly come together. All right, next up is our Under the Radar section. The Internal Revenue Service is going to use artificial intelligence to crack down on wealthy tax violators, it recently said. The IRS plans to leverage AI for open investigations into 75 of the largest business partnerships in the U.S., each with more than $10 million of assets on average. Machine learning is being used to identify hedge funds, real estate investment partnerships, and law firms that often face limited scrutiny. The IRS says roughly 1,600 taxpayers fall into the category of cases where someone has income above $1 million and tax debts of more than $250,000, owing hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes. Axios has the story, and there's a link in today's episode description. Next up is our numbers section. The number of asylum seekers who have arrived in New York City since the summer of 2022 is 70,000. The number of migrants staying in the homeless shelters in New York City as of September 2023 is 59,700. The amount New York City agreed to pay to turn Roosevelt Hotel in Manhattan into the city's central migrant intake center was $220 million. The average per diem cost of one night in a hotel for migrant families under New York City's contracts with emergency hotels is $339. The estimated cost of New York City's efforts to scale up shelter and services for asylum seekers across fiscal years 2023 and 2024 is $4 billion. The approximate percentage of migrant families who are placed in shelters upon arriving in New York City is 70%. The approximate percentage of single adults who are placed in shelters upon arriving in New York City is 50%. All right, and last but not least, our Have a Nice Day section This one is a little bit personal for me. Today marks the 22nd anniversary of the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center in New York City. For today's Have a Nice Day story, I'd like to point you in the direction of a piece in the Philadelphia Inquirer from 2017 about two dear friends of mine, both of whom lost parents in the 9-11 attacks and then fell in love and married each other. I had the privilege of actually being at this wedding, which was one of the most beautiful ceremonies I've ever attended, and I couldn't think of a better story to share on a day like today. We are sending our prayers and good vibes to all the families and friends who are mourning and remembering today on the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. There's a link to this amazing story about this amazing couple in today's episode description, and you can find it on philadelphiainquire.com. All right, everybody, that is it for today's podcast. A quick reminder, we have a new YouTube video up about all the elderly folks in Congress and some of the problems we're having because of that. It's a spicy one. You should go check it out on our YouTube channel. You can find us, Tangle News, on YouTube. 
and we'll be right back here same time tomorrow. Have a good one. Peace. Our podcast is written by me, Isaac Saul, and edited by John Law. Our script is edited by Ari Weitzman, Bailey Saul, and Sean Brady. The logo for our podcast was designed by Magdalena Bakova, who's also our social media manager. Music for the podcast was produced by Diet75. For more on Tangle, please go to retangle.com and check out our website.